like his theme music the best. <laughs> I do. I just love coming here. This is awesome. <laughs> Any yes. theme music we've ever come up with so far. Yeah, the great Cloud of Witness chorus singing in the background. Means Father Mark Sizza is joining us again today. Father, welcome. It's good to be here. Okay, why don't you give the folks an idea of what they're saying? Um, it's actually the Miserere from um, Psalm 51. And so the, um, it's the psalm that David prayed after he had sinned against the Lord. And so he um, have mercy, God, in, in your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me from my sin and, and purify or cleanse me. And so he just—it's just basically it, it's set to the uh, to the sacred polyphony. Then, and that's that's the beautiful thing about Gregorian chant and and the sacred polyphony is because when you look at it, the the most important thing is the words that that they're saying. And so the music then just becomes the adornment of that to to help it make make it beautiful so that we can um, enter more deeply into it. And so that's one of the things that when just in, this is a whole nother subject, but <laughs> liturgical music, but in terms of our litur- liturgical music, we need to look at the words of what we're, what we're singing, because, you know, sometimes you can have a song that's, that doesn't express what we believe as Catholics. And so we're, we're, we're praying a, in, a, in a certain sense, a heretical song in, in, in church. And, and it's, it's, it is a bad thing. But they like the beats. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but it's a pretty song father, but, but it's, it's not saying what we believe And that. That actually kind of leads into what I was going to talk about today is the, the feast of the assumption, because one of the things that we, when we talk about the assumption is that we, when we look at it, we need to, um, to look at the, at the liturgy and because that's the liturgical tradition of the church is really where we begin to see kind of where this um, this feast comes from and, and how and how we um, and how we understand it and what we believe. Because there's a saying in Latin that says um, "lex orandi, lex credendi," which means that that the the law of uh, of praying is the law of believing. That there's a there's an integral connection between what we pray and how we pray with what we believe. It, it, the, the two kind of go together is that when we pray something it, it is meant to help increase our faith in, in our devotion but but also our faith and the devotions that we have how we pray is or or it, it's expressing something of what we believe then as well so um so this is something that we we see with the, with the dogma of the assumption it is i think you brought a, a a beautiful point that i think we just need to visit just real quick again the words mean a lot Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons, well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, that, that what we speak and what we say. And I think for the Roman Catholic Church, one of the great gifts we have is Latin. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we want to dismiss that and say, oh, that's the old school. But it's the universal language of the Church, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Church comes out with the documents it does in Latin so that everyone has access to it, ideally. And one of the next encyclicals that are coming out, which, if I'm not mistaken, Father, an encyclical issued by the Pope is probably the highest form of statement that a Holy Father makes Mm -hmm. on behalf of church teaching. Yeah, outside of like a, a... Uh, well, he like in these, he's not making any dogmatic declarations right. or anything right. like that. But it is a it is a, a letter that he's giving to a the highly church. teachable mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It is a teaching that he wants to give to the whole church, though, right. and that's what it, what he's giving it. Right, and his uh, our holy father Pope Benedict is releasing Caritas in Veritate, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which you've just instructed me. It's not veritate because Latin doesn't have a silent E. And no. I keep, duh, I should have known that, I suppose. But uh, caritas in veritate. Now, how would mm-hmm. that be? Uh, yeah, caritas would yeah. be, um, is normally translated as, as either as charity or as, as, as love. And then, and then veritate would be, would be truth. So truth and love. So he wants to show the the connection between the two of them. Be, that if we do not know the truth about Jesus Christ, then we will not be able to to love. And if we don't love, then we don't we don't know the truth. Mm-hmm. And so and so I'm I, I haven't read the document yet, but uh, I don't know. Has it been problem? He signed it yesterday. Is that what? Okay. And portions of it are starting to come out now, like in Italian papers and things okay. like that. So I would imagine it would be issued within the next week or so. I think that's the the word on it. But again, it, when you think of the beauty of just love in truth wow and and it does have i keep pondering this it does go back in some ways what we understand about mary is her understanding of what that live that love is and acting that out in truth i mean her whole life is an example of those virtues of saved by hope and uh deus caritas this the god is love i mean it's just remarkable isn't it exactly and that's um, one of the things about truth is that uh, the way it's defined by by Aristotle and then the the scholastics pick this up as well is that um, getting more Latin if you want, <laughs> is uh, the definition in Latin is adequatio intellectum et rei, which means that the conformity of mind uh, of of our minds with with reality is basically what you're saying. And so unless we are, it, it's not the conformity of reality with us. On, only God knows truth like that because if God thinks something, then it exists. But for the rest of us, we have to come to know reality and we have to come to know and we have to conform ourselves with it because if, if we don't conform ourselves with reality, then we don't have truth. You know, what do we say about people that that are maybe a little, we say that they're out of touch with reality. If we say they don't, they don't, they don't have the truth within them, they're, they're not in touch with reality. And so that's that's expressive of the truth. And so that's why it's very, very important for us to know the truth of our faith. Our faith is not just what we feel. It's not just what we want to believe. But there is, there's an objective truth about Jesus Christ that we must come to know him. Otherwise, what happens is that God becomes made in our image. We, are, we, we have to conform ourselves to the image of God, not him conforming himself to us. And so, and again, that that gets to the heart of, of, of who we are. If we really and truly want to know how to love and, and how to be loved, we must understand the truth of our existence and how we stand in relationship to Jesus Christ and, and, and our Father in heaven. When we hear that, I, I think it's, a, it's such a challenge, and I think we'll talk about this more and how Mary lived this out and her assumption, how that's God's response to her ability to be able to be faithful and to be able to do all that. But it is a challenge because conforming ourselves to truth, it it can it means a struggle. All you have to do is read the New Testament to mm-hmm. see that the apostles uh, struggle and struggled and struggled. Exactly. I, I love that quote from St. Paul. He's like, I, I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to yeah. do. <laughs> I think that's something that, that we all, you know, we all struggle with conforming ourselves to, to the truth of Jesus Christ. But but it's really, it, it's only in that struggle and it's when, only when we are, when we are conformed to Christ that we truly begin to experience that, that, that joy and that happiness that, that only he can give to us. We're going to be talking about Mary. Yes, we are. The beautiful, beautiful, blessed mother of God. We just, we love her, don't we? Yeah, and we've kind of gone, just as a review, we've kind of gone through the 
um, three other dogmas that have been defined by the church, which are the, um, the Immaculate Conception, the Perpetual Virginity of Mary, and, and also Mary is the Mother of God. And so today we're going to um, talk a little bit about the, the fourth one, which is the Assumption. Well, let's do. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Take it away. But as we were uh, talking about before the break, um, just one of the important things that we want to look at in regards to the um, assumption is is the liturgy of the church. And what, what liturgy means, it's the, in, in the Greek, it means it's the work of the people. It's something that it, it's, it's a part of the, the public worship, or it is the public worship uh, of, the, of the community of believers. And what the liturgy expresses is is the oneness that we have have in faith, as we talked about, you know. And it's related to the to what we believe is 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 how we pray, because it becomes a manifestation of our our prayer becomes a manifestation of what we believe. But then also, it's meant to lead us into into a deeper into a deeper faith. That's what you know when you go to uh, something where, where there is a beautiful liturgy, where they have the sacred music and stuff like that. It, it it's meant to help increase your faith as well and so it there's kind of a, a, a almost a, a circular or spiral relationship there uh, between the be, between the praying and, and the and the believing and the two main purposes of uh, of liturgy are are first and foremost to give praise and, and adoration um to, to almighty god you know sometimes people go to mass and they say, father i don't get anything you know your homilies are so boring or you know whatever and but that's not the reason that we go to mass. It's not the reason that we have this 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 liturgy primarily. The the reason that we have the liturgy is for us to give praise to God, not for us to be entertained. You know, if we're going to mass to be entertained, that, that that's something that we need to work on because, again, it's not the primary reason for it. The other reason for uh, for the liturgy is then for us to receive the blessings from God, for us to be sanctified, to be made holy. Because the fruit of the liturgy then is for us then to receive the sacraments, and most mm-hmm. especially the Eucharist, and that's where we are, you know, when we receive the body and blood of our Lord Himself, and so that be, that's really, it, it's the pinnacle of you know all liturgical ce- celebrations, and it's a source and summit of all Christian life. And so when we look at, at, at again what we believe about the liturgy, and and we look at how that liturgy has expressed the belief in in the assumption through the course of history, then you begin to, um, it, it's really kind of interesting to see. And so the, the origins of this feast within the church, they go all the way back to the, to the fourth and the fifth and the sixth centuries. And the first time you see it uh, in, um, uh, um, um, in the life of the church is, is uh, expressed liturgy, as I said, is in the fifth and sixth centuries. And in the early part, it was, um, expressed as Mary as the giver of life, of, of the giver of immortality, because there was seen this relationship as Mary as the mother of God. And as she gives birth to our Savior, she becomes, you know, not just the mother of the Savior, but the mother of all of us. Mm-hmm. And so she is the one, in a certain sense, that gives that life to us, the life being Jesus Christ. And so the, the church recognized that, again, liturgically. And so you begin to see certain types of feasts in the 5th and 6th centuries. In the seventh century, you see Pope um, Sergius the first, and he had in the missal that that, that that he created, the missal that he wrote, he had four principal uh, Marian feast days. They were the the feast of the uh, Nativity of Mary, the Purification of Mary, uh, the Annunciation, uh, where Angel Gabriel came to Mary, and then also the Feast of the Assumption. So this is very 
very, very early. In this, this is in the Western Church. In the Eastern part of the Catholic Church, already they were uh, celebrating the feast of what was known as the Dormition of Mary, or the Falling Asleep of Mary. And um, it, continuing on in the in the ninth century, Pope Leo the First, or Fourth, he um, he adds a vigils and octaves to the Feast of the Assumption. What do vigils and octaves do? Well, we celebrated yesterday the feast of St. Peter and Paul, and there's, there's a vigil uh, of that feast day. It, it shows more solemnity when you celebrate a vigil. Also, we have two octaves in the church um, still, the octave of Christmas and the octave of Easter. And it, it says that, you know, this is such a special feast day that we can't just contain it to one uh, day, that we have to celebrate it through the whole week, the whole octave of the feast. And so, so he adds that in the ninth century. In the 10th century, um, it, the, the Missal of uh, Pope Adrian I, it, he, he sends this to, out to all the different uh, Christian communities throughout Europe, saying this is how we celebrate the liturgy in Rome. And, and that's something that, uh, up until that time, there had been a, a number of different uh, rites, even in the Western Church, like the Gallican Rite and um, the Ambrosian Rite, and I think there was a Visigothic Rite and different things like that. But at that point, the, the, the liturgy in the West starts to become uh, more universal. They begin to take on the Roman rite. And it, it becomes throughout all of the West, they begin to all celebrate these, these, these feast days as well. And so this is kind of the development that you begin to see liturgically of the celebration that this is, again, expressive of the faith of the people. But then also it's meant to help lead the, the people into a deeper faith, into that, that, that assumption. Mm -hmm. This goes, again, a teaching of the church, this, this aspect of Mary, of who she is, goes back to the, the writings of the early church, uh, to the church fathers, long before any schisms occur in the, what, 11th century, long, and even after those schisms, the teachings in both churches continue to hold fast to this understanding of the nature of the Blessed Virgin Mary, of these, these events in her life. And even uh, up until... 500 years ago, and many, even the Lutheran Church, and even in, uh, there are some other political factors that occur that begin to strip that away. But in the life of the body of the believing people, this was always held to be true. Exactly. And, and it, it really is a part of our tradition. And so when uh, Pope Pius XII in, in 1950, when he declared the the, the dogma of the assumption, the reason that he gave for it, he said that this this was something that the people were asking for. They, it, they wanted it um, to be expressed in dogmatic form. They wanted a definition to be given. Mm -hmm. And so he, he recognized that this was a part of, in, in looking historically in the liturgy, and this has been something that has been a part of, uh, of our tradition, and this has been something as a part of our faith. And so that's why he he gave the definition of the, he says, we pronounce, declare, and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. And so that that's what he, he declared, that this is this is something to be definitively held by by all Catholics. This is, this is a core part uh, of our belief. This is something revealed to us by God. It's a part of our sacred tradition, and it's something that we, we, we have to believe in as Catholics. And not the first. 
no. to be assumed into heaven. I mean, there are, it goes well, back to the Old Testament too that there have been occasions. Yeah, Elijah. she's the only she's the only one that to be dogmatically defined to be right. to be assumed right. into heaven. Yeah, but you see uh, different images in sacred scripture of being, yeah, like Elijah being taken up in the fire, fiery chariot and and different things like that. So, so yeah, it is it, it is something that 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 you do see in sacred scripture. So it, we, you kind of teased us. You were going to talk about some other, uh, the course of her life. Yeah, yeah. The, the, one of the one of the big questions about the uh, that some people were hoping that he would answer is the question of did Mary die? Yeah, because this is, and, and there's two school. Of, when you go to the church fathers, there's kind of two schools of thought on this. Um, probably the majority um, say that that she did die. Uh, that because she was the perfect disciple of Christ that she wanted to be configured to him in, in the most perfect way and in, in everything, in, including death. But for her, uh, death would have been something a little bit different than for us because all of us are, are touched by original sin. All of us have, have originals. Mary didn't. Um, but her death would have been more of a just a handing over of her spirit completely um, to God. And, and, and giving herself in a more complete way. The other school of thought says that because Mary was not touched by original sin, she didn't, you know, merit to die, and so that she was just taken immediately and directly up to heaven without um, without having died first. We don't know, and that's not something that the that the that the Pope defined, and that so we can we can fall into either camp <laughs> and yeah. still be, and still be Catholic. Um, it, it, it's like I said, it hasn't been dogmatically defined at this point, but it, it's something that the um, that theologians are still you know kind of speculating on and thinking about and reflecting on. Uh, what does that all mean? Hmm. And I'm okay with that. I mean, aren't you? Yeah, really? well, you, I have mean, to, you have to be okay with a certain sense of mystery mm-hmm. because we can't, you know, all of these things are, are mystery. There's, there's a certain, in, in terms of analogy that, that we use to describe these things, that there's, a, there's a similarity, but there's also a greater dissimilitude. You know, there, there's a part of it that we know, but there's an even greater part of it that we don't know, right. you know, when, when, you, when you speak about the, the, these great mysteries of God. And so... We have to be okay with the, the at a certain point just saying, well, we just don't know because it hasn't been revealed to us. Yeah, I, I, I like very early on when we were talking about this in the, in the early centuries of people just what they were believing and everything mm-hmm. that I like that notion of she fell asleep. Yeah, exactly the dormition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that it, just, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way, a beautiful way of yeah. expressing it. Yeah. Well, and that her son would come. Yeah. And to, and the father would take her. And because faithful daughter, mm-hmm. just she's, I mean, she, in her yes, all salvation history changed. Yeah. I mean, in that yes, for us, for mankind, and it is a, 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 you know, when you think of the prophets in the Old Testament being lifted up, why not the woman, the the person who changed it all? Her, her, in essence, her prophetic yes, that changed everything. Of, of course, this is how it was meant to be exactly right. and what, what she really shows it, what mary shows is the the fullness or the perfection of, of redemption that that she is the first one to be fully redeemed you know bought because this is this is a reality that we are expressing through this belief is that our bodies are meant to share in heavenly glory you know that, that in a certain sense when we die and we're our bodies are separated from our souls that's a fruit of sin, and, and and we're in a certain sense incomplete because God made us body and soul union, right. and so the the resurrection of the body and, and that participation of that body in in heavenly glory is is what 
we, you know, we profess in the creed every week, you know, we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And so what Mary shows us is what we shall be like. And so when we express that in, in the liturgy, it gives us hope uh, of, of something that, that, that we hope to achieve and we hope to have uh, one day as well, that, that as we, it, you know, God willing, we make it to heaven, you know, that we, our bodies uh, them, uh, as well will share in, in that heavenly glory. And so it shows the, again, it's expressive. Uh, something we're saying about Mary is something expressive of, of what we believe about our faith in Jesus Christ, and it helps to teach us about uh, uh, about our belief in, in Christ himself. I think that's an important point, again, that Marian dogma generally doesn't teach us as much about Mary as it teaches us about the nature of Jesus, who Jesus is, and also who we are mm-hmm. and what we were meant to be. And when you look at the 1950s, with this, in particular, the actual year 1950, all the events in the world up until that point. I mean, this was the 20th century where previously the most horrendous atrocities in the history of mankind were being perpetuated upon, I mean, uh, millions. More people died in the 20th century than all the other times before, all the centuries before, and all the wars and all the things, the things we did to ourselves and what we were saying about our own human nature. The church at that time felt it once again to bring forward this, if that's what I'm hearing you say. I, I, I think that's it exactly. You know, that what this really does show is it shows the dignity of the whole, whole human person, not just because if we can't respect somebody's body, we don't we don't respect the person. I mean, take, for example, something like, um, like pornography, which really degrades especially the bodies of women. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't just degrade a person's body and not degrade the person themselves. You, you treat them as an object, and when you start treating somebody as an object for use, then then you're not respecting them as a person. And this is something that really the 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 teaching highlights is the dignity of the human person, and and also uh, especially the dignity of, of a woman's body. And, and in our society, this is a message that we we really need to proclaim because you just it, it is just so rampant, especially with the. Uh, and just in terms of the internet and different the different ways that we have of degrading people's bodies is just it's manifold in, in the present time that we live in. So this is really a teaching. This is really a teaching for our time, you know. And in a certain sense, I think it was prophetic, you know, that the Pope, you know, declared it at the time that that, that he did because you know coming out of the wars. But now, you know, how many other atrocities? You know, the atrocity of abortion, where we you know we treat that the baby's body is just a unviable mass of tissue. We don't treat them. As, as a human person and and when you do that then you when you don't respect the body you don't respect the person and you can do whatever you want with you can chop them up in little parts and experiment on them or do whatever it, do, it doesn't matter life but, is completely devalued exactly but when you when you see the dignity of the human body that a person's body as well is meant to share an eternal life that that changes the whole way that you look at another person and the whole way that you treat another person because you realize just what incredible um, as, as I said, what incredible dignity that this person has, you know, body and soul. Mm-hmm. Father, you've encountered so many people coming into the church now as they, they struggle to understand, or they, or should I say, just struggle in letting go and allowing God to, to fill them with the, the wisdom to be able to accept these mysteries. What is it about Marian 
teaching, Marian dogma, that it, either people really love it or they, they just have such a hard time with it. I mean, it, it's so easy for us to name universities after theologians. You have Calvin College and Lutheran Colleges, and we named monuments in Washington over presidential leaders. We, we lift up and exalt all these people, and yet when it comes to honoring Mary— Boy, all of a sudden there's a taboo line that everybody seems to, yeah, to think, flail around. Yeah, I think there can be a couple different things going on there. The first thing is that, you know, in, um, uh, I think it's First Timothy, he, uh, St. Paul says, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when people, when we start talking about Mary, sometimes people can think that there's like, she stands as another mediator between us and Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not meant to, Jesus is still the only mediator between us and the Father. But but he is able to to share that with, with others in the sense that Mary stands beside us to, to help us to come, to draw closer to him so that he can take us to the Father. And, and so I think there can be kind of a confusion there um, just in terms of, scripturally speaking, that, that people can have a hard time with that. They don't understand exactly what he has. But, but we believe in all sorts of different types of mediation. You know, it, we believe that we can ask other people to, to pray for us. It, you know, say, you know, somebody in our family is sick, and we say, can you please pray for them? Well, what is that? That's mediation. <laughs> you know, okay. we're asking somebody else for their prayers. Uh, so, so that can be, um, I think, one sense of it. Um, I think the other sense of it is that sometimes there can be a confusion because we do have such a reverence for Mary. People think that we're worshiping her, and, and we're not. We don't worship the Blessed Mother. You know, I always, because whenever you hear the words, uh, pray, you know, pray to some, pray to the Blessed Mother, you know, pe people that are not of the Catholic faith or not of the Catholic tradition can understand that, that you're, um, you know, worshiping her or something like that. But we make a distinction in different types of, the worship that we give to God alone in Latin is called latria, and that that's something that we, we only give to Him. But there's also uh, we can offer dulia or honor or respect to people that excel in dignity. You know, like we I think we talked about it uh, at a different time. You know, like when you have the Olympics, you people win a gold medal. You give them honor them because they can do something really really well that nobody else can do. My, Michael Phelps, you know, eight gold medals. You know, he can swim faster than anybody else in the whole world. So we honor him for that. And so the saints, we offer them a certain type of what we call veneration. It's not worshiping them, but it's just honoring what God has done in them. Well, with the Blessed Mother, because she has such a special role in salvation, we offer her what is called hyperdulia, which is a, it just, hyper just means special, you know. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we offer big veneration, you know, but it's still veneration. We still recognize that she's a creature, you know, that, that she is created by God. We don't worship her. But we realize that she just has a real special role in, in salvation. And so when, uh, when we, we just want to honor what God has done, done with her, I, I think I mentioned that before, is that uh, is, uh, Fulton Sheen always talked about the gold star mothers from World yeah. War II. I, I just think that that's great, you know, because, you know, they, they, during World War II, if, if, uh, if a mother had um, a son who was in, in harm's way in, um, in, in the service, um, she was given a gold star to wear, and that didn't take away anything from what her son was doing or the honor that, that would be paid to him when he returned, Or, uh, but it was just to, sh to manifest what he was doing. Mm -hmm. It actually showed, it, it showed to everybody else that, oh, this, you know, you have a son that's doing something that's protecting our country, that's, you know, that's, that's a real patriot, you know, that is doing, doing all of these good things for us. And that's kind of what we do with the Blessed Mother, and just by honoring her, 
it just really shows all the more the special nature of her son. And so that's what that's what the hyperdulia, the special honor that we give to Mary, is is meant to do for us. Uh, I'm just remembering the the passage from Scripture on the feast of the solemnity of John the Baptist, where Jesus says that there is no man greater born of woman than John the Baptist. Well, what about his mother? <laughs> I mean, here is when you talk about God's cre- creation and creatures. I mean, uh, to be able to be the one who would bear. God Himself in her womb. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I mean, the, the, wow. the the living tabernacle. It, it's so beautiful to go through the litany of the Blessed Mother, mm-hmm. because there's so many beautiful images, and one of them is the the tabernacle of the Most High. You know that that she was just in the Old Testament, how the you know the presence of God would come down and, and rest upon the Ark of the Covenant. So Mary becomes the the new dwelling place uh, of God incarnate. You know, and she. He, he dwells visibly within her, and she's the one that gave the world our, our Savior. And that the, wor- that the church wouldn't flinch in the early church, that this understanding, well, of course she was taken. Yes, the witness, it's been, well, it's like, well, of course. Exactly. I mean, if Elijah and, and uh, you know, the others in the Old Testament, well, of course, the mother of the King of Kings, absolutely. And that's, I, I think, something that you also see that that is important for us as Catholics is that we need the sacred tradition to to tell us uh, to give us the proper interpretation of sacred scripture. But also there are things there that that were not written down. As it says at the at the end of Saint John's Gospel, he says, if everything that Jesus said and did were to be written down, the uh, the whole world would not have a book enough books to contain it. Right. But what we say about the the Blessed Mother, a lot of those things we do find in our sacred tradition that that it was just assumed by the early Christian community that, that yeah, of course that we believe this. You know, why why would we not believe this? And, and so, if we want to have a proper understanding of sacred scripture, we also have to have that element of tradition as well to help us to be able to understand these things. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's what's the the three legs of the table, mm-hmm. where you have the sacred scripture, script, sacred tradition, and then you have the great magisterium exactly. of the church to guide us to protect it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, Father. Wow. Time just flies. Thank it you does. so much for being here with us again today. We really appreciate it. Did you get your license? I did. All the right, bus good. driving license, all right. I did. <laughs> <laughs> we, already, we went down to Kansas City last week. We, we had a good time. We went to Worlds of Fun. So. And you it, drove it was, the bus. Was, I, and I drove, drove the bus. The bus so. right. Well, the SZA Motor Coach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the highway on to heaven. On the highway to yes. heaven near you. Hopefully. Stay Hopefully. tuned. Uh, a blessing, Father, as, yes. as we conclude. Through the intercession of Mary, Mother, may Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father Sizza. You're most welcome. My pleasure.